I can just introduce the Professor Mukund. He's well known, of course, to many of us. But for those who are not, I think let me just uh, run through a brief and introduction. It's a privilege to have you with us, sir. Uh, Professor Mukund is an educator. He's a researcher and entrepreneur. He's a professor of electrical engineering at uh, Rochester Institute of Technology in New York. He's also a keen student of the Vedas and a teacher of the Vedic way of life. Professor Mukund started uh, Tara Prakashana initially in the US and subsequently in India. This nonprofit organization has saved thousands of Vedic manuscripts. It's a wonderful service. And these uh, manuscripts were on the verge of disintegration. And uh, it, uh, he has been instrumental in conserving many of them. Uh, some of them include the Sarvamura Grantha of Acharya Madhva, Madhva Acharya. So um, that's a valuable contribution, sir. And his work has been reported worldwide. I mean, uh, agencies like BBC, CNN, and MSNBC have uh, covered his work. And very recently, he started the Foundation for the Preservation of Knowledge in Penfield in New York that focuses on preservation and dissemination of our Vedic knowledge. Professor Mukund, sir, thank you very much for joining us early in the morning. And wonderful to have you with us here. And we are really looking forward uh, to your talk. Over to you, sir. Ananta Guna Purnaya Dosha Durai Vishnave Namashri Prananathai Bhakta Dishtapradai Uddhir Balam Vishavadhairiyam Nidbhayatva Arogata Ajadyam Vakpatutvancha Hanumats Paranat Bhavit Shri Guru Purnamahari So, uh, in the first place, I want to thank uh, Harikiranji and the Indic Academy for um, allowing me this opportunity to speak with you. Um, in a way, I'm a misfit in the sense that, um, like, it was just told I'm a professor of electrical engineering. So I have spent uh, <laughs> close to 46 years in the field of electronics. And my professional area of expertise actually is uh, in the design of integrated circuits. That is what people normally informally refer to as chips. And... Um, so you may say, what are you doing here? And that's a valid question. And so what I'll do, I was told that I can take roughly about 20 minutes or so. Uh, so I'm going to split this talk, if you want to call it that, into three different parts. I'll take about seven, eight minutes per part. The very first one is what I would call Pitika, uh, you know, introduction. Um, or setting up the context, not so much introduction, but giving it the context. And the second part, I will um, give you my Anubhava, my thesis, if you will, what I'd like to say. I'm not here to prove any point or uh, say that I know everything. <laughs> I'd be the last person to say that. <coughs> Excuse me. And the third part is I'd like to give you one example of what I'm attempting to convey to you. So, if that is okay, let me start with the peat cover. So, when when I am involved in something, I think of it as Vaidika Karma. And like Arundhati Ji said just a few minutes ago, and rightly so, Jnana and Karma go together. There's no Jnana without Karma, and there's no Karma without Jnana. And Given that, when you look at that word karma uh, and you look at that word ritual, I don't think 
think of yourself as a ritualistic person uh, or a not even a very religious person in that sense, in that definition. So if you look at the dictionary definition of a ritual, what is that? And so I did. I just looked it up last night for me. <laughs> so they're talking about Vedic rituals. What is a ritual in English? And when I looked at that, it said it is a set of religious or solemn actions performed according to a prescribed manner. That is what it said. Now, so is karma and ritual one and the same thing? I don't think so. I think that every language is an external manifestation of a culture, a way of thought, and a knowledge base. So is karma and ritual one and the same thing? And if you look at, you know, some other things like when we perform a puja or something, and this must be true all over India, I assume, I don't know. But, you know, at the end, we do certain prashchitta, right? So we say things like kaya namachama sendriva buddhyatmana vanshita sabavat karomi adyatsakalam parasma shivan narayana iti samarpaya. So, so in that, kaya, vacha, manasa, buddhi, atma, all of these things are brought together. So if it's just an action, if action is what we are talking about, yes, there is a prescribed manner and a correct manner in which to do these things. I'm no expert on Paurahitya at all. So it would be the wrong person to even attempt to talk about that. Then the second thing is vacha speech part, the mantra part, the ucharana, all these things to do it properly and so on. But my thought and focus always has been coming from an engineering background. What exactly, what problem is being solved? Because even if you look at the Vedika Sampradaya, I'll give you one tiny uh, thing from my own background. Over 50 years ago, when I started as a student in the field of electronics, I was told that there is this thing called electron. And I was told that it is a charge of 1.6 times 10 to the minus 19th of a coulomb. They just told me that. I couldn't see it. I couldn't measure it. I accepted it. If I had not accepted that fundamental axiom, I would not have done all the things I've done in my career. So when I look at the Vaidika Sampradayam, initially, like many people do, and again, the speaker before me uh, sort of briefly said something about that. I was also, um, <laughs> I grew up in a semi-traditional middle-class Brahmin family. And so again, not understanding what was going on and all that, I too went away from all this. And fortunately, I came back uh, with the blessings of my guru. But so be it. Uh, I, I don't think that's very relevant in this context. But the point I'm trying to make is that when you look at karma, for me, if you look at the science part, there is science, engineering, and technology, even in the Vedas, I, I feel. This is just my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, but this is my opinion. So there's the science part, which is the fundamental principles that form the foundation of any knowledge base. 
And there are people who study these things. We need scientists in every field. But science does not solve problems for us. And for every single person, for a layman to come and say, this is scientific or not scientific, to make such a conclusion, to me, is somewhat foolish. It's sort of like, suppose there is a professor of theoretical physics at MIT writing something on a board, and somebody who has not even studied high school physics were to walk by, look at some equation and say, what the heck is that? It's a random set of things. It doesn't make any sense. It's not scientific. And the person is not even going to answer to this person because this person does not have the context and the education and the background to even understand what that equation is or means for that matter. Because it is a symbol. It is symbolic of some knowledge base. I think the, in the Vedika Sampradaya also, the same thing applies in my opinion. So for every random person on the street to look at something and say, is this scientific? Prove it to me. Why is it scientific, not scientific? You know, a real jnani is not even going to respond to that. He won't even respond to that. He'll say, forget it. There's no point in even talking to you, right? So now the question is, that science that exists, what good is it? Well, therein comes, I think, the engineering aspect of it. And I hope you don't mind me using such terminologies. It's my background, so forgive me for that. But... I, matter of fact, I started out in physics. I wanted to be astrophysicist. That's what <laughs> did happen. Very quickly, I moved to engineering. But the science is fine, but science in itself does not solve problems. Engineering is the taking that science and coming up with real solutions to real problems. So that is my focus. I've always felt that. My thing is that what problems is, is it solving for people? And then there's a third part, in my opinion, which is technology. The technologists, what they do is they take this and make it easily accessible in a usable form to people. Now, this is the Peter Kappert, the context, right? So let me come to my thesis statement, which is, I'm going to take seven, eight minutes to do that. I... You know, I, um, like I said, I was 36 or something like that. I'm 68 now, so this I'm talking about more than 30 years ago. When I sort of came back on this uh, track um, and a personal incident um, led me to that and I started questioning what is death uh, because of something personal that happened. So that's what led me <laughs> along this path and taken me very, very far. So... When you start looking into something, over time, I realized that there are certain scientific, very scientific, in my opinion, things that have been discovered in our Sampradaya, and it has even been translated to usable products, which you, well, I should say you and I, because you, you guys are probably experts and I'm not in this field. So even people like me can take it, use it, and solve a real problem in my own personal life. Live a productive life, you know, do as, as much as I can for society and so on. 
that requires a certain amount of faith in the first place. Like I said, I had to accept, you know, after all these years, <laughs> you know, I've written so many papers, I've chaired international conferences, I've done supervised PhD dissertations and all that in electronics. But the funny thing is that to this day, I've never seen a single electron, right? So similarly here in this field also, I'm not foolish enough to say, I want to see something because that seeing part, whether you mean physically seeing or even monastical, you know, even mentally seeing something, I'm not foolish enough to think that I have the bandwidth to see everything in the universe. But I have to take certain axioms for granted and then move on from there. So when you do that, I, in Vaidika Karma, my main question to myself was, what is the important part? Because I realized that, you know, in our Sampradaya, over thousands of years, I mean, don't tell me they're all foolish people, for thousands and thousands of years, people did Agnikarya. So, they, people used to do Madhyan, you know, in, in the middle of the day, they would do Agnikarya, people did Homa, Havana, Yajna even, in collective fashion and so on. So surely, my thing was, surely that cannot be stupid or something that doesn't make sense. So I started looking into that and I was speaking with my guru and I said, what good is it if I'm born as, well, I'm not talking about Jati, but Varna, uh, you know, by nature, not by birth, but by nature, if I'm a scholar, if I, if I live the life of a Brahmana, or so I claim, what good is it if I never even looked at, didn't even look at? This one very fundamental karma in Vaidika Sampradaya, which is Homa. So I started studying that. I, I started studying, there are three aspects to this karma, I felt. One is Kaya, Vacha, Manasa. So that's action, speech, and what goes on in my mind, with what knowledge base should I do this? And for what? Why? Why should I do it? How should I do it? And what should I do? And I realized that, you know, like I was introduced, I live in Rochester, New York. And it's not like I can go around the corner <laughs> to a grocery store and buy Samit and uh, Darbha and all these things. So there are certain limitations. But given those constraints and limitations, what should I focus on? And for this karma to give that karma phala, what is the important thing? Or just because I cannot follow all the so-called quote-unquote ritualistic part, should I not do it? Is there any negative impact on me if there are certain things missing or not? And... I don't know the answer to that. So I went to my guru and I asked him, I said, sir, I, I, I feel like I would like to do, learn something about performing a Homa. And his first question was why? And I said, just for local Kalyana, I don't want anything, I'm fine. It's not that I want something, but I just want to create good energy in society and I'd like to do something. So he said, okay, that's a good intention. 
go ahead and do it. So when I looked at her part, I asked him, I said, you know, there is the action part, or some people may call it the ritualistic part. I don't know. I, I, I personally don't use that specific word, but whatever. Uh, there is the action part. Then there is the mantra. And the third part is what should go on in my mind? What should be the manasa? You know, what, what's, what's going on in my mind? With what knowledge base should I do this? So that it has good impact. Because after all, my goal is to just create good energy. I don't want to foolishly do something bad and create bad energy. That's, it's better to just keep quiet and not do anything. So when I started looking into this part, I made a sankalpa that within one year, I will perform 108 Sudarshana Homa. Now, you may say that that's a foolish sankalpa, but I'm that kind of person. I just, I, I, I want to do something. I just go in and do it. And um, in retrospect, unfortunately, I could not do it in one year. It took me about 15 months. But I learned the rudimentary parts of the ritualistic part. I got the Upadesha of the Sudarshana Mahamantra. But I was, these are just two things that I had. Just two things. The third part is the one that was bothering me a lot. And I said, what should we? What, what do I do? Like, what is in my mind? Do I just imagine a chakra, Sudarshana chakra? But not having experienced that, without that anubhava, what is it that should be there? And that part, I felt, was the most important thing. I'm happy to tell you that not only finished the 108, and uh, we the 108th one, I did it in Bangalore with some friends and relatives, and my guru was also there, actually. So at that time I asked him, I said, sir, I, I, with your blessings, I was able to do this 108. Uh, I feel so good when I do this. I feel just awesome. And people around me feel good. My family, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, everybody feels good. My shishas, everybody feels good. So can you please give me permission to continue to do this as and when I can? He said, sure, go ahead. No problem. And my new sankalpa is to 1,008 in this Janma. Now, whether it will happen or not, I have no idea. Just yesterday, I did the 270th one. <laughs> so I have a long, long way to go. But anyway, so let me come to the third part about this specific thing. So you know how much money I spend. I'll tell you some of the things I cannot do because of my constraints. In one of the very important parts, in performing a Sudarshana Homa is the mandala. And, you know, I, I do two or three per week and I just don't have the bandwidth time-wise and so many other ways to actually create the mandala. So that is a omission, if you want to call it then. But I compensate for that some other way. Let me not go into that bit. But the thing is that when that Agni is, Agni, I don't mean a fire, Agni Devata is invoked with all the Dig Devatas 
and so on with Durga Matas in the corner. And I invoke Sudarshana in the Tagni, through the Tagni. And to that Yajnapati, I make an offering. The question is, what do I want? And what am I offering? What exactly am I offering? On the outside, I'm offering ghee. But that ghee, every time I say swaha and then I offer some ghee, manasika in, in my mind, what am I offering? Just chanting that Sudarshana Mahamantra? Just chanting that Mahamantra? Even with the Upadesha? And offering that ghee outside? Is that good enough? Like, what is the phala from that? And I'm sure there is some phala. I'm sure. But can I enhance that by also doing an offering inside me, not just outside me? So the last part, I'm now, that was my thesis statement. Now the example part. So this is what I do. Yes, I know there are some constraints and some other things I do. I, I, I try not to do wrong things, but I may not be able to completely do all the right things. But given that, following as much yathashakti, you know, as following as much as I can, with as much sincerity as I can muster, with as much bhakti as I can muster. After all, Sri Krishna himself said, offer me patra, pushpa, toyam. You know, either he meant it or he didn't. I want to assume that he did. So I offer the best I can with as much bhakti as I can, sincerity as I can. And the only thing I ask for is loka kalyana. That's all, nothing else. Nothing else. So the last part I want to share with you is in this particular specific example. When you offer ghee outside, what is it symbolic of inside? Because after all, symbolism and numerology plays a very, very big part in Vaidika Sampradaya. So the milk, after all to make the ghee, we make ghee at home. My wife makes it for me at home so that I can use it. We don't go buy ghee. So our starting point is the milk. So what does this milk represent? And how did that milk get transformed to ghee? And why is it that the Yajnapati will accept that ghee, but will not accept the milk? I cannot pour milk into the Agni. I cannot say Swaha and I cannot offer milk directly. Why is it that it has to be transformed into ghee before it is accepted? And in the thought process, the milk that comes from Gomata, I look at it as symbolic of Vedamata, the Vedika Jnana that comes from Vedamata. Just like the cow gives the milk for the calf, and after it drinks, we steal a little bit and drink it. Similarly here, conceptually for me, Vedamata, when she gives this Vaidika Jnana to those 
devata shaktis after they consumed everything whatever is little left after all how much can i absorb very 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 little but whatever even that small very small part that i get as nutritious as it is for me for me to offer it back to that yajnapati i cannot offer it in that form that's the first thing i concluded so that jnana that comes in what has to happen to that well in that in that process of going from milk to ghee the very first thing we do is we boil the milk we boil the milk and then we cool it down so in this jnana after all shravana manana nididhyasana that process that we've been told that manana part that contemplation on that whatever little jnana i may get that manana is to me equivalent of raising the energy and heating the milk and the question is why do you do that why do we heat the milk we heat the milk so that all the unwanted components are gone from it that's why we heat that and then we let it cool down because at that high energy level if you put uh, yesterday's uh, curds it will become paneer it won't become it won't become curds so you will let it cool down so whatever nana i get if i do tremendous manana on that contemplate on that and then let it cool down and that concept of adding yesterday's the uh, yesterday's curds and stirring it and letting it stay for a while to me that is the equivalent of guru upadesha mantra upadesha from my guru because that's yesterday's knowledge that is yesterday's solidified knowledge which he got from his guru so always the question is where did the first curds come from brahmanta guru sakshat <laughs> that's all we can say we don't know it came from god we have no idea but the thing is that i was given that that upadesha from my guru where did he get that from his guru so that parampara is important i can't just sit randomly and do something that connection has to be there so that's why i went to my guru and said sir can you please give me mantra upadesha and when you take that you stir it with your knowledge and let it sit there for a while just like the milk turns into curds solidified knowledge which has its own taste it has its own characteristics even that i cannot offer in homa even that i cannot offer that has to be churned so when you keep churning that that is keep applying that every single day in your life in every single thing i do you know even when i go teach it may be a phd level course in electronics whatever i teach whatever research i do every single thing i do i say prayer and say you know i don't know anything please you sit through sit inside me and to my guru parampara and say please you speak the truth through me so when that is applied in every single thing we do not just doing some homa or doing some puja in the morning but every single from the time i wake up till the time i go to sleep if i keep churning that churning that churning that out of that comes butter and that is bhakti but even that bhakti even even that butter i cannot offer because it won't be accepted why why is butter not accepted well because that also has some water it also has some sedimentation sedimentation being tamasika amsha 
and the water being the Rajasik Amshan. So I need to heat that too to separate out the Sattvic Amsha from the Rajasik Amsha from the Tamasik Amsha. That's what the heating of the butter does. And then when we filter that, the sedimentation is removed, the Tamasic part is removed, and the Rajasic component, the water part evaporates. And what is left is that ghee. And that is the only thing I can offer in this Homa. So it's not just me just offering some ghee, chanting some mantra and just saying swaha and then offer it. But do I do that every single thing I do in my life? Whether it is preserving some manuscript or whatever I do, it doesn't matter. Is it a seva? It is an, is it an offering? Is every single thing, is it an offering? Or do I have this arrogance to say that I am doing something? I found, this is what I found, is that when you do that, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen in the first place. I'm just a very ordinary person from Bangalore. Nothing special about me. But I never thought the day would come. I never really thought the day would come where I'd be talking to learned people like you about a topic like this. I never ever imagined that. Amazing things happen. Like I said, just yesterday, I finished the 270th one with all of your good wishes. And after all, I'm doing it for Lokakalyana. That's it. Hopefully, I'll be able to do the 1008 one sometime, someday. Maybe. If not, so be it. That's good too. That's fine. Whatever he wants is fine. If it happens, good. If it doesn't happen, that's also good. So my, my, when I, I'm going to end this with one simple, humble suggestion to you. For you to just consider, that's all. Just consider. You don't have to agree with me. I'm not, I'm not standing on a pedestal and saying I'm an expert. I'm telling you something far from it. It's just a humble suggestion to all the people who claim to follow the Vaidika Sampradaya, which is that even if you are limited in some parts in the action part, in the what you may call the ritual part, that's okay. That's okay. We want to be as good and as perfect as possible. Learn that thing from people who know and do the do as much as you can to you know, I, I go to India and I go to in, I'm, I'm a Kannadiga from Bangalore, what we call Grandiga and you know, I don't know the translation in English. I go there, I buy the summit, I buy the derby, I buy everything that I can, bring it here and do the best I can. But I'm, like I said, I'm sure there are certain omissions, I know that. But the mantra part with right Upadesha, right guru connection i always tell my own shishyas that you can go to a store and buy a beautiful tap nali and put it in the wall in your house the best it may be made out of gold you turn it no water will come unless there's a connection to the water tank in the back so even a cheap plastic thing will give you water if it's connected to the water tank even a golden one will not give you any water if it's not connected to the water tank so that Guru Parampara is very important for us. Very, very important for us. And with the right connection, with the right attitude, when we perform these so-called rituals, 
I found that it has tremendous benefit, not just for the one who is performing, not even just to my family, but to society at large. So my suggestion is, along with the rituals, let us also focus on the symbolism of what the ritual is. And what should, how should that affect what I do? Not while I'm doing that particular ritual, but how should that affect every single thing I do outside that ritual? Because if it doesn't, what good is it? Like if it doesn't affect how I deal with the universe, if it doesn't affect how I do research in electronics, or if, I, if it doesn't affect whatever dharmakarya we try to do, what's the point? And those things will happen when what happens outside not only complements, supplements, but is in resonance what, with what is happening inside. So the karma, I feel, those three components have to be in resonance. They have to resonate. The, the thought, speech, and action. That is my very, very humble suggestion to this learned audience. And uh, that's all I have to say. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Today, here, at least in the US, today is Ekadashi. And we, today is, we do Upavasa. And Upavasa is not fasting, but I don't know what happened. I didn't say that. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Upavasa, you know, Upa, that is at a high level, Vasa, that is existing at a higher level spiritually. I hope that all of us do Upavasa, not just on Ekadashi, but every single day. And I try my best to convey this to the younger generation, to my own shishyas. They have found tremendous interest. And uh, one thing I have to tell you, I'll, give me just 10 seconds, if you don't mind, please. Uh, just one thing I want to tell you is that in my own university, when I'm a professor of uh, engineering, in 2003, I believe it was, uh, there, we have an interfaith chapel. And in the interfaith chapel, there were, you know, the Christians, the Muslims, the Buddhists, they all had their own people, but the so-called Hindus had nobody. So I started going there voluntarily, uh, doing pravachana, you know, just giving a talk um, once a week and students started coming. And these were the new generation of young people, mostly engineering graduate students who would come from India for PhD and masters and so on. And this continued and today it has grown quite a bit. And uh, uh, we always have this habit of blaming young people. Uh, my feeling is that if it is talked to them in the right way, in, the, in a manner in which they understand, they follow a lot of it. And uh, I, I, I've been very pleasantly surprised at how involved these people have become. It is actually with their support, their seva, uh, that uh, whatever little gets done through our, our uh, organization is called Tara Prakashna. We have a website, 
uh, let me put in a plug for that. It's taraprakatiaraphraksha.org. Take a look. That's what we do. And Harikaranji uh, and the rest of the people in Indic Academy, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I'm very humbled and honored. Thank you.